Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from our special guest. I want to introduce you guys to Bob Long and just pray over him as he comes and delivers a message. You know, Jay is finishing up sabbatical for the month of July. He's going to be back in the office here soon and, and here next Sunday with us. But it's always a blessing, two things. It's always a blessing when our senior pastor can step away from the pulpit and, and be surrounded by the things that God is, it wants to pour into him so that he can come back fresh to pour into us. Amen? And I just want to tell you guys, and Jay will probably share some of this stuff, but Jay, um, Jay's family had some, some tragedy that happened over the last week. And man, um, their family's been hit with a lot over this last season in various capacities, but I've never seen that man waver in his faith. If anything, it's made him stronger to where his response to those things has been, man, the enemy is going to pay in this next season for what he's trying to do in the past seasons. Amen? And so I tell you that. Jay can share what he needs to share about those things. But I tell you, when Jay is able to step away from the pulpit, um, things are still going on. Things are still happening. But it's a blessing that he's able to get new refreshing from the Lord into the direction we're going. But it's also a blessing to have leadership in our church that steps up and we just don't skip a beat. From sound to guest speakers to worship, whatever it may be, there's always a fill-in to, 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 to be able to do that and not miss anything because the Lord is moving. There's no, there's no timeouts, amen? And so Jay is away. He'll be coming back shortly. But I want to present to you guys Bob Long just to read some information about Bob. Uh, Bob is the founder and overseer of Rally. Call Ministries and Rally Call Leadership Network here in the Austin, Texas area, just north of us. Um, he is a spiritual father to the next generation of Ephesians 4 leaders through apostolic relationships, through, through deep connection with leaders in the kingdom of God. Bob currently serves about 35 of these leaders who are not just connected to him, but they're connected to one another which even just makes things deeper and more intimate when it comes to kingdom things. Bob serves on the apostolic leadership team of the Federation of Ministers and Churches International, a, relation, a relational apostolic network over 75 ministries and church, churches around the world. Additionally, Bob is on the Apostolic Leadership Council of the Texas Apostolic Prayer Network, and that's a statewide ministry connecting thousands of intercessors together. In 2021, Bob was asked to be a part of the Kingdom U leadership team, which requires him to travel across the U.S. to different Kingdom U campuses each month. Uh, Bob and Leslie, his wife, uh, have been in ministry for more than 40 years, and they currently reside in the Austin, Texas area. They're the proud parents of two daughters, five grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. And I can tell you, amen, he gave a, gave a fist pump. And I can tell you, oftentimes, you'll see Bob in one of our seats worshiping with us because he frequents our congregation quite often here to be a part of our family here at Legacy. Bob is taught uh, in our kingdom school uh, a couple of Octobers ago, did some kingdom teaching in that for, for, for a class that, that he had as well. And I know on numerous occasions, uh, Cindy and I have met with Bob and just had fellowship and, and friendship with him. And just um, uh, the times that I've spent with him, God has really just spoken to me about uh, the depths of the levels that the Lord has taken Bob to when it comes to being a father in the faith and a spiritual father to others. So we're blessed 
to have Bob with us. So I would have you guys stand real quickly and give Bob Long a warm welcome from our legacy family. And I'm just going to pray over him right quick. So Father God, I just thank you for Bob. I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for the things that you just um, continue to reveal to him to make things fresh and new. Father God, through 40 years of ministry, his heart burns, and you can hear it in his voice when he preaches and when he talks to you personally. Father, his heart burns for you brighter today than it did 40 years ago, and that's what we all should be wanting when it comes to who you are in us, what faith means in us, Father. So bless the message that he's bringing today. Bless Leslie and his family, Father God, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, boy, Chris. <clears throat> One thing about Chris Hatcher, and this isn't very spiritual, but let me say about something about Chris. He's a good man <laughs> in every way. Come on. And uh, <clears throat> through the years, lesson I've learned, out, learned to be kind of careful about where you hang out. And, uh, uh, and with our ministry, our own ministry and travels and and so we don't get to be here very often, but this is what we would call the closest thing we have to a home church is here, and, and we did that on purpose. So um, I honor Jay. Uh, he texted me this morning, and before I could text him, he was texting me, and, and I, we have some uh, family members that, are, that, are, that have COVID, and uh, I don't think it was because he was afraid I'd been exposed. I, I think he was honestly just checking on me. But before I could check on him, he was, he was asking me how, if we're okay. And uh, so that's Jay, right? And, uh, and then there's Kelly this morning back with the kids, right? And so I honor these guys, honor the leadership here, love the worship team and the, the hearts. And this is a good place to be, man. And I, I, uh, uh, I, I'm a little bit like the farmer's commercial. If you've seen the farmer's insurance commercial, there's a guy that says, I know a few things because I've seen a few things. They base that off of my experience. <laughs> so I want to talk to you this morning. Um, and I'm a, let me say this. I'm a big picture guy, okay? I mean, I love the individual ministry. I love the teaching. I love worship when it's personal, intimate. I love all that. It's, in, it's incredible. I love it. Uh, but my calling and my, and my DNA is all about the kingdom of God. And my calling is all about bringing people into a revelation of who Jesus is as king primary, in a way that we're not normally understanding that. And, and so I'm a big picture guy. Uh, I, I love to teach on the church, the ecclesia, what the church means. Hey, guys, it's good to see you, Bob. And, and uh, thanks for being here. And so just want you to know that because we're going to kind of jump right in. And so you will find that many times I teach out of the book of Ephesians because Ephesians is the book of the church. In the entire New Testament, the, the book of Ephesians is the, let me say it this way, the, the book of Ephesians is the constitution of the church. It's the constitution of the church. If you want to understand the ecclesia of the church, you, you have to get deep into the book of Ephesians. And trust me, it takes a long time to get. I'm still digging and learning. But we're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. And I'll give you a 30-second um, commercial. We do have some manuals over there called Liberating Nations. And a lot of, uh, 
uh, of what's in this manual. It's, more, it's not a book, it's a manual. And so uh, it's all about the, the authority of Jesus as in his role, his identity. It's not his role, it's who he is of king. He is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And the word Lord in, the, uh, in Luke is the word, the, the, the Greek word there is the word for king. And I'll probably mention that. So this manual is just full of that. And so um, let me just say this to you. The prices on printing and shipping have pretty much doubled. <laughs> and so buy these while you can because they're $12 for now, but we're not going to get to keep it that way. So it's unbelievably, and I don't want to go there. <laughs> right? It, it, it's not a happy camper subject. And so... Um, but I am a big picture guy, and, and I love that. Uh, so, believe it or not, we are going to be looking at the book of Ephesians this morning, and we're going to read one of Paul's prayers. Now, here's the kicker, okay? You with me? So, when, you, when we read Ephesians, we're reading, the, or at least in chapter 1, the, we're reading the prayer that Paul has released about what he's praying for the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, the ecclesia there. You guys are familiar probably, hopefully, with ecclesia. Um, let, me, let me give you a five-minute background of that as I look at the clock. Um, in Matthew 16, and you guys know this verse, right? But Jesus said he pulled Peter, James, and John, right, really all of them, with him and took them to a place called Philippi, Caesarea Philippi which was known in those days as the place that was known as the gates of hell. You can look this up in Google. A uh, hundred years ago when I went to Israel, there was no tourist sign that said this place, this spot is a tourist spot for the gates of hell. But now because the church, because Christians have learned so much more and the church is maturing in their understanding that there is now a sign that says gates of hell at this spring that comes up out of the ground in, in kind of a cave and then it runs out. It's just a really small river and it runs out and it runs eventually into the Banyas River, which runs into the Jordan River. But across the river there are, are ancient, ancient mountain cliffs that have been there for a thousand years or more. And it was always an evil, dark place of pagan worship and altars. Even the rabbis of Jesus' day would say, do not go there. So Jesus, I love him. He purposely takes the apostles out of their way and they go to a place called Caesarea Philippi, known as the gates of hell. And Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Like he cares. And, he, and they say, well, this, that, and the other. And then he said, the million dollar question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I think there was this brief silence. And then Peter, as you know, in Matthew 16, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus stops the conversation because what he really brought them there for was to talk about the church, the ecclesia that he's going to build. Now, all of this is introduction to why decades later when Paul is at Ephesus, you're going to see why he does what he does and the revelation that Paul has about what the church is. And therefore, out of, he's praying out of that revelation and he's praying into certain, three certain things in Ephesians chapter 1 about what Paul is praying. And by that time, 
the city of Ephesus had been completely transformed by the gospel. It was one of the darkest cities in the known world at the time. So that's where we're going. So in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, and Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood did not what? Reveal. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Well, that's a really important word because that's about, that word is revelation. Reveal means that that's revelation. Now, re here comes the definition. Revelation is not knowledge. Revelation is not information. Revelation is not just facts. Revelation is, here we go, is the supernatural download from God by the Holy Spirit by it's the, it's the download of truth with a capital T that's objective truth, eternal truth. It's the truth that is true whether I believe it or not. It's the truth that comes from the heart of God and the nature of God. And when that truth is supernaturally downloaded by the Holy Spirit into your spirit, it becomes real to you. What's, what's true in God becomes true in you, in your spirit. That's revelation. That's revelation. And we have lots of good information and we can live a good Christian life. But if we miss out the, the reality of what revelation is, and when you got, so here, here's an example real quick. How many of you are born again? How, how, how many of you is, is your born again experience uber real to you? That's a good Bible word, right? Uber. Not the one you, you know. It's uber real to you because you have revelation in your spirit when you got born again and when you believed on him, that became true that you're saved, that he's your savior. That's so real to you that no matter what happens to you, nothing could change it or take it away. Am I right? I mean, listen, they could cut off both arms. They could just keep going. And you wouldn't lose the, how real Jesus is your Savior is to you, even if, even if you died. And listen, and I'm not volunteering, but if they tortured you and your body screamed out, okay, okay, I don't really believe, it wouldn't really matter because that's just your flesh screaming for pain, but your spirit, come on, is eternally locked because you've been born again and your spirit has been made new by the Holy Spirit, come on, and the work of Jesus. So revelation is supernatural. Revelation is how the, is how the ecclesia is supposed to function because we're individuals, but we are, and the book of Ephesians shows this, that there's five names, basically, for what the church is. There's family, body, bride. Come on, you know these things, so we won't go there. You understand what I'm saying? The word church, army is not used, but all of the weapons, weaponry and warfare language tells us that the church, that the church is also, come on, that it's an army. So, so we love to be a family. Family's fun. Army, not so fun. But the kicker is this issue of revelation. So at Matthew 16, Jesus, he stops and changes Peter's name because the revelation of who Jesus is changed Peter's identity. 
because of the revelation of who Jesus is. So for years, I began to say, whoa. Because the whole conversation began by who is Jesus? And he's asking the apostles. You hearing me? And so, and so Peter has this dramatic experience and Peter stops the conversation and, and, and acknowledges Peter, but he changes Peter's name because every time, concluding today, tomorrow, and next year, every time you get a deeper revelation of who Jesus is, your identity changes a little bit more into him. So when I get to looking at those verses... I'm like, well, then, who is Jesus? And I love it because Luke chapter 2 tells us completely. The angels at the, in the Christmas verses. In Luke chapter 2, the angels appear to the shepherds outside, right, of, of uh, Bethlehem was where the baby was. Jerusalem's where the shepherds were outside. The angels came and, 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 and announced to them, now hear this, the angels came and announced to the shepherds. And they weren't just ordinary shepherds and they weren't just ordinary sheep. The sheep they were, they were tending and guarding were the sheep that will always, that, that area with that kind of, those sheep, those were the ones that were always going to be used in the sacrifice in the temple. The angels come and appear to those shepherds and announced to them the very first announcement, a formal announcement of the identity of the baby in the, in the, in, in the manger. Sorry. Are you with me? So the angel's announcement says, this, this babe who's been born in the city of David, come on, you had to be in the city of David, son of God, don't let me go there. Son of man, son of David. Come on, the last Adam. So, so he, he, he announces to them the formal introduction of who Jesus is. You have to get that. It's the formal introduction. He is the Savior, Christ the Lord. So we have a wonderful revelation of Jesus as the Savior. We have a better than ever revelation. We, the church, capital C, Ecclesia, we have a wonderful revelation, better than ever, of Jesus as the Christ, which means the anointed one, right? That's Isaiah 61. That's in Luke chapter 4. Jesus walked into the synagogue and, and he picked up the scroll and he read Isaiah 61. That's about the anointed one, the um, the. the um, anointed one as the king of Israel and all that goes with that. And it, and it tells us there and all about the anointing because primarily that is the anointed one and he had to be the anointed one before he could ever be on the, on the throne if he's even as the son of, of David, which Jesus is. Come on, are you with me? So the anointed one, Isaiah 61, yes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then that whole long chapter, all the miracles. Oh, and by the way, it includes transforming cities, lose, regaining broken whole generations. The anointing does that. Rivals and all of the movements that happened. I, we got, Leslie and I got saved 
1974 in the middle of the charismatic renewal, come on, in the church with all the denominational, especially all the evangelicals who'd been taught that the Holy Spirit wasn't for today and all the gifts weren't for today. But guess what they were? Because Jesus is the anointed one and that comes with it. Come on, and so you can get filled with the Spirit, not just born of the Spirit. You get baptized in the Spirit. The language of the Spirit comes with it, and then you move into the gifts. And, I, and we were discipled and loved on people by people who had been walking with God for 20 or 30 years who knew the Lord but had always been taught in some you know, denomination or whatever that none of that happened anymore. But Leslie and I, we came out of darkness. And so it was all new to us. And so we were able by the blessing of grace of God that they brought us into salvation and they brought us into the baptism of the Holy Ghost in 1974. And two hippie kids got born again and full of the Holy Ghost. Huh. Savior in Christ. So in the, the church began to get a better, deeper revelation of the Christ, of who Jesus is as the Christ, the anointed one, right? Isaiah 61, Luke chapter four. But the third part of who he is, his identity, Savior, Christ, and Lord, we had emphasized for years, yes, he is Lord and he's my Lord. Hallelujah. Well, that's a drop in the bucket of who Lord is because the Greek word for Lord everywhere it's used in the, in the Gospels and in the New Testament is the word for king. It's rooted with the word basileia. It's a kingdom. So in the identity of who Jesus is, he is the, he is the Savior. He is the anointed one, but he is the king. Yeah. Now, it took us a few decades to catch up so that we could go backwards to get to where the truth lies is that Savior Christ and Lord, Lord means king. And so we thought that meant, well, well, yes, he's king, but he's not going to really be king until all hell goes to, you know, until the earth goes to hell and everything breaks apart and the darkness comes and the church has to get rescued out and, and then he'll be king. And that was what, we, come on, I can't go there, I get in trouble pretty often. But about 90% of the church, that's kind of where they were for years. And they were so convinced that it was gonna, all the bad stuff was going to happen in the, back in the 70s, right? That Leslie and I were, you know, we were thinking about not having kids. And, you know, there are all these movies out, Distant Thunder, Thief of the Night, and Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and God bless him, I forgive him. I'm sorry. <laughs> It did a lot of damage because everybody was packing their suitcases, canceling their life insurance. I saw them. I was 20 years old. I, wa I never heard the gospel till then. And then I started watching these guys and they were canceling their life insurance because they thought Jesus was coming any second. Because it, that's, you know, one more earthquake. And, it's... and then we finally made it through 1988 and the book came out, 88 Reasons Jesus Was Coming. In 88, I mean, after 40 years from 1948, makes sense. You know, Israel became a nation in 48. A generation's 40 years. 1988, it had to be, it had, Jesus had to be coming in 1988. Well, nobody remembers his name. And here we are. So, revelation is important. 
Revelation is important. And the, and the word of God says that Jesus is king now. Yes. And Pentecost that we just came out of, I will get to the message. You can see Leslie looking down now. She's at, her, she's at this stage where she starts looking down because <laughs> she's not going to look at the clock. And I noticed, I, you know, we didn't get started at 1120. That's awesome. I'm doing good. And so, come on, you with me? So, Savior, Christ, and King. So, we have a wonderful revelation, right? You understand about that revelation thing? You have a wonderful revelation of Jesus as Savior. We have a better than ever understanding revelation. We have a better revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the anointing, the gifts, miracles, flow of the Holy Ghost, and on it. Come on. And we're, but we're still behind on the revelation level of Jesus as the king now. So at Pentecost, the whole birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, he didn't, the ascension wasn't about getting Jesus home safely. Jesus told him to go wait on the, in the upper room and wait until, I, until you're endued with power from on high. And the reason they had to wait was because there was about to be a formal coronation of the king after the resurrection. I can't, don't do that, brother. You mess me up. <laughs> that thing will get on me. And so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A coronation is legal. A coronation is judicial. And so at Pentecost... Here they are, 120 in the upper room, and they're, and they're waiting, and they don't really know and, and understand fully, although in between the resurrection and, and, and the ascension, there were 40 days of teaching that he did personally, right? That's read your Bibles, pray every day. It's in there. <clears throat> so on the day of Pentecost, suddenly there came a sound. Now what happened there is that there was the coronation of Jesus as the king. He's not going to be king someday. He's king right now. He's king right now. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. David. Had to be David because Jesus was the seed of David. Come on. The prophets had said for a hundreds if not a thousand years that, there, that, that Israel would never lack a man to sit upon the throne of David. David writes prophetically not knowing exactly who he's talking about in Psalm 110 which by the way is used you got to love this right? Psalm 110 is, is used more times quoted more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse at all. It's a psalm. It's not Isaiah 53. It's, it's, it's Psalm 110 used more times in the new than any other time because of the issue of the king. So in Psalm 110, David writes prophetically, the Lord said to my Lord. Now there's two different words in the Hebrew. It's father to now resurrected, ascended, and enthroned son. The father says, Psalm 110, the Lord says, says, be seated at my right hand until, everybody say until. 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 One more time. Until. 
he's going to be seated at the right hand of God until I make, the Father says, all, say all with me, all, until I make all your enemies under your footstool. Oh, we got something wrong somewhere. You understand what I'm saying? Ooh, it's quiet in here now. So the king at Pentecost, the coronation was a legal, formal coronation of Jesus, anointed. Psalm 133 reflects that like the oil running down on the high priest when he was anointed as the high priest. By the way, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Savior, Christ, and Lord, prophet, priest, and king. Yeah. I mean, we could just stop and just worship right there. Just, he's everything. On the day of Pentecost, the 110's in the upper room. What's happening in heaven, Psalm 110, is the coronation and it's the anointing of being a king. Like Psalm 103, when the oil was poured down over the high priest and the oil of anointing ran down over his beard and down into that upper room on his body, gathered in the upper room. And the oil of the Holy Ghost that had Savior Christ and Lord anointing in it fell into that upper room. Now, they'd gotten born again in John 20. Don't have time to go there. Come on. The disciples got born again in John 20. Jesus breathed into them. And that was the same word in the Greek that the Greek Old Testament used for when God blew his breath into Adam and he, and he, created, he, he, he became alive, so to speak. Come on. They got born again in John 20. Read your Bibles, pray every day. So anyway, that's not where they got born again in the upper room. They were already born again. They were, and the anointing of the king and the anointing of the priest and the anointing of the prophet, there was an individual infilling of the Holy Ghost and they all began to worship and pray and praise in a language unknown to them. Come on. And corporately, now hear this. And corporately, that anointing was a corporate anointing of the authority of the king falling upon the 120 in that upper room. And by the way, Peter, in his first sermon in Acts chapter 2, he mentions Psalm 110. Peter mentions Jesus is seated on the throne. In the second sermon he preached in Acts chapter 3, which was at the temple when the lame man was healed at the gate beautiful, you know the story. But the gate beautiful there means the gate of the right time. It's the opportunity time. That's what the, it, it, you can read that anywhere. So the first public demonstration of the ecclesia after Pentecost was the, was the healing of the lame man, which represents more than what I have time to say. Are you with me? So at Pentecost, it was absolutely the legal coronation of Jesus seated as the king and everything changed from then on. So years later, the gospel's gone forward. Decades later, Paul has come and brought revival's not even the right word, is transformation to the city of Ephesus, one of the darkest, most idolatrous city, the queen of heaven, temple to Diana, marble pillars, prostitution in the, in the 
temple that was dedicated to Diana, the economics, the identity, everything about the culture, and Ephesus was geared to worship of Diana. Paul comes, God begins to work special miracles through him, and, and, and Ephesus gets transformed. Acts 19, you can, you can read all that. And so some more years goes by, and Paul is in prison, and he's writing an epistle. He's writing the letter to the, to the Ephesian church. And in Ephesians 1, the prayer that Paul prays, and there's at least seven times in the New Testament where Paul is recorded that he was praying out of his apostolic office, if you will. He was praying for the church, but particularly a church here, a, a regional church there, et cetera, et cetera. You with me? So look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now you know how Paul is. It takes five verses to get to you find a period. One sentence takes about, right? He writes like I preach. And so, <laughs> verse 15. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not, verse 16, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now watch this. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of? Oh. I heard that somewhere. I heard something about revelation and what that means somewhere this morning. So Paul, who is the most revelatory apostle, right, out of all of them, say yes, that just means he wrote more scripture than anybody else. Don't be afraid. And so, so the, most revel, the most revelatory apostle is writing to now the most mature church in the New Testament time. It had started out of a horrible, horrible background, but, but, the, but the book of Ephesians is the, is the constitution of the church. It's, it's arguably the deepest book in the New Testament, maybe Revelations, but everybody's made Revelations harder when it's really not. So anyway... Hear what I'm saying. So you've got this dynamic duo of the most revelatory, and I'm using that word on, 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 on purpose. The most revelatory apostle is writing to the church, and he's saying, and here's what I want to pray. Here's what I'm praying for you. And so he begins with, I am... Verse 16, I'm not, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers... And here's, here's one, number one. He said that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That ain't bad. He's praying they get more revelation of Jesus. That's part of my job. Then he goes on to say, I pray, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Can I say Revelation. I pray that you get revelation so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He is. Now, I don't want to, I'm going to stop there because he is speaking about the call. So, so, number one, Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus 
gets a revelation of their corporate destiny. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So number one, revelation is, is, is he's praying that the church would get a revelation of their corporate destiny. Different than my, corp, than my individual destiny. I mean, it's all connected. But we, we, need to, we need to remember that we need to be looking especially in these times, at what is God saying to the whole church? Come on. The whole church in a city, the whole church in a region, the whole church in a state, et cetera. Texas Apostolic Prayer Network is a super loose-knitted, but there's, there's loose-knitted connection of, of, of first coordinators in every region and then hundreds and hundreds of people that are just intercessors, mostly prophetic intercessors, but there's an identity there, and we were able to release. If Dutch, how many of you are listening to Giving 15? Well, that's not near enough. You guys need to know who Dutch Sheets is and, and, and watch a 15-minute deal every day. That's my buddy. Dutch and I have the same spiritual father for 40-something years, and, and, uh, and I remind him every so often that he's not the Protestant pope. And, you know, so anyway. Which he kicked me if he, but anyway, he's a he, he's an amazing, amazing, amazing man. I never met anybody quite like him. And he's he is he is he is a catalyst, if not the catalyst, for nation for for transformation of the nation along with a whole bunch of others. But Dutch is a. I was in a conference of about 600 people in Houston a few months ago, 500 online, 600 in the conference, and, and we asked a question about how many of you are new to the kingdom movement. Jade liked that term. <clears throat> it's a good term. How many of you are new to the kingdom movement? And hands went up everywhere, and the reason they got an understanding of that is because they're listening to that 10 minutes a day where Dutch prays and tells a Anyway, it's amazing. So, but it's about the corporate destiny. See, we're not running this thing alone. Five times in the book of Ephesians, five times, it talks about body, family, army, bride. There, there's, all, there's five different words that describe a corporate identity that the church has. You with me there? And so we're part of something way bigger than us, and we have a responsibility not just to be connected to a local church, hallelujah for that, but to be connected to the church. When I started years ago when we were ministering in Cuba with the underground movement that was against the law, it was an apostolic movement, kingdom movement. I made 15 trips in 14 years. And the main leader, who was dear, 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 dear to me, we, he ended up spending two and a half years in prison. Long story, he finally got out and we got them to the states and they're citizens, hallelujah, they're American citizens. This was before any of the weirdness on the borders. And so, hear what I'm saying? But they got a revelation, those men got a revelation about the kingdom of God, Jesus as king, and they got a revelation of the ecclesia having a role because 
the, the communist government had a law that said you can't be an independent church, you can't be an independent ministry, you have to be, you have to be on the roll of a denomination that existed before 1959. And so there's, not, there's some great denominations there, but you hear what I'm saying? And so when God began to move in the earth with the restoring of the apostolic in a way that we've not ever seen in this century, then, then, then the Lord dealt with me about who's bringing that message to Cuba because I already had friends working there as, in and out as missionaries. And somebody said, well, maybe Cuba's not ready for the apostolic. And I said, how dare you think that? How dare you think that? If God is speaking, I'm talking about the, the ecclesia, I'm talking about the big picture, I'm talking about the corporate people of God, capital P. I'm like, God doesn't think that way. Who said we're ready for it? Half of the people we know got kicked out of their churches when they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And quite a few of them, we have some scars over this five-fold apostle thing. Come on, I've got a few more scars back there. It's about a corporate destiny. Because, because as the people with a capital P, that affects everything and it's a wonderful thing. And so that's why Jesus went on to say in Matthew 16, I'm, your, your revelation of who I am is how I'm going to build my church, which is ecclesia. I'm going to build an, an ecclesia in the earth and the government of hell cannot prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. So either Jesus lied or we've been misunderstanding some things, thinking that everything's destined to go bad and, somebody, and Jesus is going to have to rescue us and get us out of here because my Bible says that the gates of hell, that's, listen, gates don't charge at people. The church has been on the defensive posture for decades and decades and decades thinking that we were doing the right thing and really what we were doing was hunkering down. I remember when they were talking about that and it was more like, well, the hordes of hell is coming at us, but they can't prevail against us. Meanwhile, we're hunkered down. And, and it, come on. So, so we got to change a mindset here. We got to get revelation of who Jesus fully is and a revelation of, a, of who the ecclesia is fully because, because we're the agents of the kingdom. Not only individually, but there's a corporate. So should the election be on the top of your prayer list? Yes. Yeah, I, I know. I just said that. Anyway, moving right along. <clears throat> Hear what I'm saying? The gates of hell are not on the offensive. I want to say this so I don't get anything else said. Not one verse in the New Testament ever talks about the church being on the defensive in, I'm a World War II buff. My dad served under Patton, liberating France, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Battle of the Bulge was and one of the, in Guadalcanal, were the two bloodiest battles in all of World War II. <clears throat> Both of those were offensive movement by the Allies. The Battle of the Bulge was, was the last great hoorah of the Nazis after the invasion to liberate France and, and to push towards Germany to end the war. We lost 30-something thousand people 
in the Battle of the Bulge. My dad got wounded seven days before that, or he would have been in the Battle of the Bulge. And he was seriously wounded, but later, the, one of the few things he ever said to me was, one good thing is, is that I didn't have to go to, at the Battle of the Bulge because the losses were so heavy. But so sometimes battles, even with have a lot of, now hear this, sometimes battles have a lot of casualties, but the battle was launched and originated and has the DNA of an invasion and, and, and we moved them back. The Allies broke the back in the Battle of the Bulge, even though we lost all those casualties. It was one of the big things that broke the back of the last Nazi stronghold that couldn't prevent us. Come on, they couldn't prevent the Allies from overrunning them, even though we lost a lot of people. So it was, it was we have casualties sometimes. I hate it, but we have casualties. But everything that the enemy does, now hear this, everything that the enemy does, everything that the enemy does is a desperate counterattack trying to stop the ever-increasing kingdom, Isaiah chapter 9, the ever-increasing kingdom, Isaiah chapter 2, that in the last days, Isaiah 2 says, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall arise and the nations shall turn to it and say, let's go up to Zion and learn the ways of God. Amen. Nobody was teaching that when I was, when I was being told, why would any... Uh, Anyway, you understand what I'm saying? I literally sat there and watched as a 20-year-old new convert that people were dropping out of college, not making plans. We were, we were afraid to have children. Less than I were 20, we'd been, we'd been married two years. Leslie, you know, one day she said, man, we want to we wanna have children. I said, me too. But we were afraid to because... The revelation level of the church was so bad. Can I just say that? That we were like, well, God, our only option is to pre-trib, mid-trib. Hell breaks loose here or here or here. The devil wins and we escape and God judges it. And <sighs> Isaiah chapter 2 and then Isaiah chapter 9 of the increase. Just say increase. Of the increase of his kingdom, there will never be an end. That includes right now. So do we have casualties? Yes. Are there some battles that are bloody? Yes. But all of them are because we're on the offensive. We're pushing this thing. And it doesn't always look like it. And they're always trying to trick us into believing that we're losing. Come on. And if you want to know something the enemy does, it's the spirit of Jezebel. Because, because when the Jezebel-Ahab uh, covenant, false government... Come on, had a false prophetess with an apostate king. So you had them married covenant, governor, government made covenant with a false prophetess. And then they came and then she came as a false prophetess. Romans 12, I mean, Revelation 12, Jesus said she's a false prophet, basically. She comes to the real prophet and says, you're the troubler of Israel. It's you conservatives. It's you Bible believers. You just need to leave people alone. Let us live however we want to live. Come on. I'm just being real. Do we love them? Yes. We are supernatural people. We are supernatural people. We are born of the Spirit of God. We're filled with the Spirit of God. I can supernaturally love somebody 
and hate their sin. And don't let anybody tell you you can't. You can. We do. And you just have to remember to keep your emotions out of it. Come on. The enemy, Jesus said in Matthew 16, so you can read Matthew 18, let it have a whole new meaning to you. Whatever you forbid is forbidden. Whatever you lose, whatever you permit is permitted. But until we get revelation of that, if we try to just do it out of head knowledge, it won't work. So Paul is praying that we get revelation. The church in Ephesians gets revelation of a corporate destiny. Number two, in verse 18... He mentions this. He mentions, so then, or for, um, well, you know how Paul is. I'm going to jump in the middle of the sentence. For through him we both have access, one spirit, in one spirit to the Father. You are no longer, um, let's see here. Oops. That right, that ain't the right 18. Let's look. We'll get it right. The wind of God blew the pages. I'm reading out the wrong 18. Come on. Could have been my breath. And so, so he talks about it there and, and about a revelation of a corporate de- destiny in Ephesians 1. Almost a hole in that. And then in verse 18, he said, I pray that, pray that your eyes that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That was the first one. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance is number two. Destiny. Second one is he's praying that they get a revelation, revelation, come on, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. So there's a corporate inheritance. I call that a corporate dividend because I like D words. Come on. And so... The inheritance of the ecclesia is the same inheritance as King Jesus has. It's Psalm 2. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations. That's what the Father said to the resurrected Son in Psalm 2. Be seated here at my right hand, Psalm 110. But in Psalm 2 it says, ask me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. So if the church doesn't get the nations, then, then the enemy will get them. But if we're doing our job in the Great Commission, come on. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against us blasting into the culture individually and corporately and discipling the nation. And a nation is discipled simply, this is how a nation you know is when it's discipled or not. Come on, Jesus in Matthew 28, make disciples of the nations. A nation is discipled when that biblical Christianity is the most, is the most, um, what's the word? that it is the most influential philosophy in the culture. Doesn't mean everybody's going to get saved. America used to be that way decades and decades and decades and decades ago, and everybody wasn't saved. But the culture was so influenced that there were a lot of things that were against the law or unpopular or looked down on, rightfully so. Hear what I'm saying? Because of the influence of biblical Christianity. Paul's praying, I pray that you get a revelation that there's a corporate inheritance, a corporate dividend. It's the nations. It's the cultures. They can't stop us unless we quit. And then lastly, he prays three things here specifically. 
And this is the one I say for last. We'll be finished in 10 minutes. <clears throat> Verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe that are in it? Now look at Verse 19. So we've, we've talked about the other two things that he's praying for the church for. The most revelatory apostles praying for the most mature church in the known time. Does that make sense? That's why, Revel that's why Ephesians is one of the most important books in the New Testament, if not the. <clears throat> it's the constitution of the church. So verse 19, and, and, so, and I'm praying that you get revelation. What is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. With me? The word there for strength in the Greek is a, is, is a Greek word, K-R-A-T-O-S. It means one thing and one thing only. It means literally dominion. See, we have a few other scars that we went through a few decades ago when the apostolic began to be re, uh, restored and then, and then especially when spiritual warfare and, and we begin to talk about that the church ought to be taking dominion over darkness, the word dominion. So there's newspaper articles written about a bunch of us. I, I'm a nobody, but even, even I showed up in some of the writings and said, so these guys are dominionists. And the reason I brought up the Jezebel thing a while ago is because when Jezebel said, you're the troubler of Israel, that will always tell you, that will always tell you what they are guilty of. And the prophetic is the key to bringing down the spirit of Jezebel. But when you watch the media, the reason that it's so weird and, and supernatural sometimes in some ways, it's like, what, where did they come from? It's because they can't help themselves out of that dark thing, that false prophetic thing, because that's what media has become. And so she said, you're the trouble of Israel, which the reverse of that was true, you understand? Specifically, what she, the, she could have said all kinds of things to Elijah. She could have thrown all kinds of names at him. She could have said all kinds of things. She said, you're the trouble of Israel. She had the gall to say that after killing all the prophets she could find. And the false prophetic will always try to replace the true with the false. So now you know how to deal with that in the spirit. So Paul prays here this last thing. And he said, I pray that you get a revelation of the inheritance. And then the, and in verse 19, number three says, in what I'm praying that you get a revelation of the surpassing greatness of his power, which is a strong word, dunamis, toward us who believe these are in accordance with the work. These meaning all the things he's prayed for. Right. I'm telling you, we, as, and it takes revelation, and it takes, and it takes the fruit of the Spirit, but we as a people need to realize that we are also an army and we have to act like one. We have to function like one and we have to have the revelation it takes so the prophetic releases Strat uh, the prophetic releases timing. The prophetic releases seasons. The prophetic understands what's going on in the spirit realm and that part of the battle. Apostles come along and begin to take that and we begin to orchestrate strategy on how to get there, what to do with it. 
Come on, it's those World War II, and I close with this. It's like those old World War II movies where there's a great big table and they've got these little like shuffleboard almost thing and there's ships and toy tanks and troops and over a map of like half the world. And those are the, the supreme allied commanders we're talking about how are we going to win the war? They're constantly focusing on how do we win the war? We need to move, some of us need, in our calling as apostles especially, need to move into strategies that are about how do we take an entire stronghold down? How do we take down a dark stronghold that's affecting a whole nation? Because it's doable, because it's been done, and Jesus said it's done, and he says we're called to that. And so the fivefold is headed to a new day. That's why you're hearing all this new stuff about all these un, un, uh, nameless, faceless evangelists that are real evangelists. I have people sending me videos from uh, people out in the streets and there's big crowds around them and nobody's hardly ever heard of them and, and they're preaching the gospel and people are manifesting demons and falling out on the ground and demons are manifesting and people are getting saved. Come on, there's, I mean, there's like a dozen of those. I'm like, well, who are these people? That's, you know, so the whole evangelist thing's coming to a whole new thing. I have a ministry son. I've been walking with him for 25 years. And he's not just out winning souls anymore. He's learning about training trainers. He just got back from India. He'll be, he'll be leaving again for India in another week. On and on and on. There's, there's whole new ways. There's whole new, uh, when, you know, and I told him one time, my final closing, I said, Leslie, not my Leslie, <clears throat> but Leslie and his wife. About the second or third time he went to an African, it's always places like Ethiopia and crazy places, <clears throat> and the worst places in those places. And I told him, I said, I'm really proud of you because you spend all that money and you spend two weeks and you, and you sleep you know, 10 days and 10 nights in a little village somewhere and, you know, 30 people in the village. And I said, I love that. Uh, he and I have done that before decades and decades ago in Mexico and other places. And I've slept on the ground with him. We've done it all. But I said, Leslie, I want to tell you something. I hear the Spirit of God saying that the Lord's bringing you into an apostolic evangelist anointing that God is creating something new in the, in, in the earth. You're going to be a you're 100% evangelist. He tried, to be, he tried to be a good assistant pastor and couldn't stand it. He called me and said, I can't stand it. What do I do? All I, all I do is talk to Christians. All I do is pray with Christians. I haven't seen a lost person in three weeks. What am I going to do? And I said, do what's in your heart. Do what's burning in your bones. So he did. So like in the village where I told him, I said, look, <clears throat> I don't know how it's going to happen, but the next time you go on a trip, I said, you mark my words. There's going to be leaders coming to you saying, we want you to train our leaders. The very next trip he went on, it happened. And it happened to such a degree that he called me when he got home and he said, there's a curriculum that's being used in several nations. And he said, they've asked me to rewrite the curriculum. And so I drove to San Angelo, and he and I spent two days together, and we rewrote the, the curriculum, mainly that we just interjected something about what is the kingdom of God, what is the church, and what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the language of the Spirit.
So you understand what I'm saying, saying today about this, about this thing about the ecclesia? We are not destined for anything except overtaking darkness. The gates of hell at the day of Pentecost, that individual infilling was individual. That was dunamis. That was, that was power. You guys know that. But the corporate anointing that came out of the anointing of Jesus being installed as king and, and flowing into that upper room, that was exousia. That was authority. And that's why not very long after that, Peter's first sermon, and then, it, and then the next thing you know, they're healing the lame man at the temple. Come on. At the gate beautiful at the temple, which is a prophetic sign that the whole thing was over. There was an empty temple or at least an empty holy of holies. Come on, you understand what I'm saying? There was nothing, you know, if Indiana Jones showed up in the holy of holies, the glory would not be there. The veil had been rent wide open and everybody knew it except the people. Hear what I'm saying? This thing is a war, but we're destined to win it. We're destined to win everything that the enemy does. It's a desperate counterattack because we are moving forward even when it doesn't feel like it. So get revelation in your spirit of the truth with a capital T that this is who we are and we can't be stopped. We can't be stopped. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall fill the earth that the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, I pray that, Lord, my feeble efforts today, would you cause this to be revelation in their spirit? I pray that, that your spirit takes the revelation of your word and puts it in their spirit in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.